For, oh, let's say about $99, you can go on to a website, let's say, for instance, Ancestry.com, and you can order a, a kit that'll come to your home in the mail, and you'll provide uh, some saliva uh, that you put in a tube and send it back to this company, and within six to eight weeks, they'll respond and turn it back to you and, and let you know uh, where they best believe that your, uh, your ancestors had come from. Um, you can also connect with distant family members this way, but because of the rise of, of science and technology over uh, the years, more and more people are taking this opportunity to trace their lineage. Uh, genealogy, the research has really become a thing in these uh, past few years. Even I was reading the other day, Adair County, their public library is opening up a, a genealogy and history center. Uh, April 12th, it's opening, and you can go in there and search the records of, of a family in the area. Um, you can look at records and files and transcripts. So again, this, this is something that a lot of people are taking advantage of uh, today. But in the Bible, for instance, in the Bible, a lot of us, when we come to those passages in the Bible where there's name after name after name, sometimes our eyes start to glaze over. Sometimes we're wondering why these records are in uh, the Bible in the first place. You know, some of these individuals that we read about, they're not very well known, or maybe this is the only time that they are, um, are used in the Bible. Some of them are difficult names that we don't like to try and recite. You know, the, the old joke is never upset the preacher because he'll get you to come up and read scripture that evening and it'll be a list of the, the genealogies in the Bible. But what can we learn from it today? That, that's going to be our lesson this morning. What can we learn from these genealogies today? Why did God in his infinite wisdom record these for us to have these? So let's explore that question, especially pertaining to the, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's, let's talk about a little background information on, on genealogies. Why do we have them in the Bible? Well, the simple answer is because the Bible does not begin once upon a time. Right? The Bible is no fairy tale. These are historical facts. And, and, and so we would assume that we would find these uh, in, within Scripture in the Old Testament Genealogies were extremely important. They were extremely important. We can go back as far as Genesis chapter 5 to see a genealogy of, of Adam all the way to, to Noah. Chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis, we can see the life and lineages of, of Noah's children, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. And when we get to 1 Chronicles chapter 1 through chapter 9, over 400 verses of names, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, over and over again, God has put in our place, from Adam to Abraham to the 12 tribes, David's lineages, these were extremely important for, for the, the Jews to know their historical records, to know their genealogy. Of course, it was important because they wanted to maintain the lineage of where the Messiah, the Christ would come, the King we're told in Genesis 49, verse 10, this prophecy of, of Israel that the scepter would never leave Judah right, until Shiloh comes, uh, speaking of, of Jesus, that, that the ruler uh, of Israel would come from the tribe of Judah. And so that was important to know. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 16, the, the prophet Nathan 
if God has given him a prophecy to tell David and he tells him that 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 the, the, the throne, his throne will be established forever. Now, now this was a, a dual prophecy. He was speaking both of Solomon and, and, and the Christ. But of course, Solomon was just a man. He was going to die. But, his, but the throne of the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. In, Jer- in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah said, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. See, 700 to 750 years before the Christ, Isaiah prophesied of the king, of the coming Messiah that would be coming from the line of David. Of course, again, another important aspect of the genealogies are the tribal history. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, which tribe were you a part of? They would want to know these things. Uh, the Levitical priesthood, was the, the genealogies were important to the Levitical priesthood because, of course, a, a, a priest could only be from the tribe of Levi. In, in Ezra chapter 2, verses 61 and 62, when, when they were coming back from the exile over, before, or after the captivity, there were some priests who they were Levites, but they couldn't connect the dots. They didn't have the records, the, the genealogies, if you will. They didn't have those. And so because of that, the Bible tells us that they were declared unclean and excluded from the priesthood. See, it, it was extremely important to have these genealogies that, we could, that they could look at and determine who was a Levite. And of course, property rights was another, uh, another huge uh, reason to have uh, these genealogies. But more importantly, we want to look at the genealogies that are in the New Testament. The New Testament includes two specific genealogies, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, which we're going to focus most of our time this morning. And Luke also gives us a genealogy in, uh, in his account in chapter 3. Now, if you were to compare the two, if you were to look at the two side by side, you would know that there are some differences between the two. But that is okay. That is fine. See, Matthew, what he is doing, he is giving us the legal line via Joseph. He is taking Joseph, who was uh, the, who Jesus was his legal son, and he is giving us the lineage of Jesus through Joseph's family. Okay? And Luke, in Luke's account, he is giving us the fleshly line, the, the physical line of Jesus from Mary to uh, Adam. And of course, when, when you read Matthew's account, Matthew is only going from Jesus unto Abraham, where Luke is going from Jesus all the way back to Adam. So again, there are a few differences uh, between the two, but there are also some similarities. There, there are some similarities between the two because both Mary and Joseph were from the tribe of Judah. And so you would expect as the further you went back into that lineage, there would be some uh, similarities. David, of course, is listed in both of their genealogies. Uh, David, David's son Solomon 
is through whom Joseph would come. And then David's other son, one of his other sons, Nathan, is through whom Mary would come. And so we see these genealogies uh, throughout Scripture. But again, we're going to focus mainly on Matthew this morning. But if, if someone came to me in the first century and, and I was of Jewish descent and someone came to me and said, there is this man by the name of Jesus who is claiming to be the Christ, who is claiming to be the Messiah, the first question I'm going to ask is who is this man related to? Who is this man related to? See, Matthew's gospel is written to convince the Jews of Christ's messiahship. And so Ma- Matthew could not just proclaim that Jesus was, the, was the, the, the promised messiah, but he had to prove it as well. And if the Jews were going to believe that Jesus was the messiah, they were going to have to believe that. And so Matthew begins his genealogy. We see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, reading the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, David and Abraham, these would have been the two most important individuals in the lineage of Jesus. And so if you wanted to know if this was the Christ, if this is the Messiah, you would want to know that he was related to David, that he was related to Abraham. Let's take a look in Matthew chapter 1. Now, again, this is not going to be an extensive uh, reading of all of the names in here, but we're going to pick out a few and we're going to talk about a few. What we're going to notice in Jesus' genealogy of the past in Matthew, who made up the family tree of Jesus? We're going to notice in here that, that Matthew lists at least five women. Five women. This is unusual as genealogies are usually, they're male dominated. You know, you read the son of so-and-so who begot the son of so-and-so. However, Matthew is giving us five women prominently displayed within the genealogy. But notice some of these women, Tamar, if you're familiar with her in Genesis chapter 38, if you're familiar with that account, this, this was a woman who... Uh, was, was promised a son through, through Judah, the man Judah. And, he, and she did not re, uh, receive the, the promised uh, marriage that she, was, she had been waiting for most of her life. And so because of that, she was a scorned woman. And if you remember that account, she, she dressed herself up as a harlot and waited by, along the street. And when Judah came by, she, she laid with him. And because of that, in Jesus' genealogy, in verse 3, it tells us that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Right? We can read about Rahab in chapter 5. Of course, Rahab, we're again, we're very familiar with Rahab as Rahab the harlot. The, again, the, this was a uh, woman who, um, who lived in Jericho, but she, what she did in the New Testament tells us a couple of times of her faith that she was a faithful woman when she received the spies into her uh, home and she, she hid them from those of the, Jer- the Jericho people and she hid them and by faith she was justified by her works. And then, of course, Ruth is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth, of course, was a faithful daughter-in-law of Naomi. And then we get to verse 6. Listen to my translation. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, 
who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, probably your translation reads a little different. Maybe you don't have the name Bathsheba in there, uh, but it would say her of Uriah. See, again, this would be something that the Jews would not have considered uh, to be prominent in their genealogy of the coming Messiah, of the king, right? They would have been ashamed of this. Of course, Bathsheba, who, who uh, with David, committed adultery, and David would later on have his, her husband Uriah the Hittite uh, killed. This would be a shameful act, right? Uh, this is something that you wouldn't want to prominently display in your family tree. But here Matthew records it for us, and also, of course, Mary is within that family tree. But then also... Peppered throughout this genealogy are those of Gentile origins. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanite women. Ruth was from Moab. She was a Moabitess. If if you're familiar with with where they came from in Scripture, you remember after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and Lot and his wife and his two daughters, they, they left the city, but Lot's wife turned around and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Well, they go off uh, Lot and his two daughters into a cave and they believe that their, you know, their whole world has been destroyed and through, through some ancestral relations between Lot and his daughters, a son was born by the name of Moab. Uh, th- that's where the Moab race came from. Again, something that might not have been worthy to put in your family tree, in your gene- genealogical records. Matthew lays that out for us. And then, of course, we can, we can see some black sheep of the family within Jesus' genealogy. You've heard of that term, black sheep, right? Maybe there's someone in your family that's done something disgraceful and you don't like talking about it or don't like talking about that individual. Well, we see here uh, of one of the kings of Judah by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh, in Second Chronicles chapter 33, he's painted as a pretty... Bad guy. In Second Chronicles chapter 33, we know that his father, Manasseh's father, was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king, a wonderful king, but his son did not follow in his footsteps. Second Chronicles 33, starting in verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. Hey, listen to the things that he did. Verse 3, For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made ashram and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the hosts of heavens in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hamin, and he practiced witchcraft used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Again, these are the individuals that are making up the the family tree, the lineage, the genealogy of our Lord and Savior. You know, we might think that our family lineage, our family tree is checkered. But then we read this in Matthew chapter 1, and we think, why would, why would God's ultimate plan have the Christ coming through someone like Tamar or Rahab or Manasseh? But let's notice. Let's notice that the sinless Son of God, 
derived his physical existence from a sinful ancestry mingled with, again, Gentile genetics and questionable characters. But this is the family God chose to bring his only begotten son into the world. So we've, we've noticed Christ's genealogy of the past, but let's notice going forward. What can we learn from this genealogy? And again, I invite you to read this on your own sometime, all 17 verses, get to know some of these individuals. But why is it important that we know this? Why is it important for us that we know who makes up God's family tree? What kind of application can we make for our lives to this? Well, the first one I want you to notice is that God is faithful. God is faithful and he fulfills his promises. See, this is the, this is the picture that Matthew is painting for us. See, the Jews, again, they, they longed for the coming of the Messiah. And God had continually made a promise throughout Israel's history. Again, Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14, tells that a, a, a child shall be born of a virgin, right? And that was important to them. That's what they knew. And then when we get into Matthew chapter 1, that is fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. See, friends, God doesn't operate on our timetable. He doesn't operate on our timetable. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the Christ has been prophesied, and they're wanting him, they're wanting their Messiah now. But Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul tells us that it's in the fullness of time. It was at that point when God sent his son into the world. Right? They wanted him now. They wanted him to to rise up as a king, to, to take over those Romans who are ruling over them. But when God says something is going to happen, we can take that to the bank. He is going to fulfill his promises. When, when the Bible says that Christ is coming back, we better believe it. We better be ready. When Christ says that we need to be ready for that, again, we need to prepare. We need to prepare for his coming. We notice Throughout this genealogy in Matthew, that God is faithful. We also notice that it is no longer about blood relations. Again, it's no longer about being born into a physical family. See, you and I will, will never know. We'll, we'll never know what tribe, if we derived from the, the tribes of Israel, what tribe we would have been in the first place. All of those records were destroyed. They were cleared out in, in the year 8070. But it's not about that. Scriptures plainly teach, and we've looked at some of these in the past couple of weeks. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 12, John there wrote, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, John is telling us that we are needing to be born into the kingdom of God. And this isn't going to be a physical birth. It's not going to be a fleshly birth. It's nothing that we can will ourselves in, but it is a spiritual birth. As once we get to John chapter three, of course, John there is, is speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter three. And Nicodemus comes to him by night 
And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus says in verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. See, again, it is no longer about being born into a a race or a fleshly family, but it is about being born to be sons and children of God. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, you might notice that Paul here writes, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Again, no longer are you heirs according to a fleshly line, heirs according to your grandparents or or your great-grandparents, but you are heirs according to the promise that was made back in Genesis chapter 12 of, of Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through his family. See, again, there, there's no DNA test required. All, all of us are invited to people into his family who, sh- who should accept that invitation. God is faithful. No longer is it about blood relations, but also why we study the genealogies is that God's family is now on level ground. God's family is now on level ground. It doesn't matter what our pasts are like. We're studying Ephesians in Bible class on Wednesday nights. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that when we were once outside of Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But because of God's great mercy, because of his great love, his grace, those who accept Christ, those who are now in Christ, are made alive with Christ. And we can be fellow citizens in God's family. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. See, some of those individuals, again, listed in the, the genealogy records are people that, you know, we've never heard of, that maybe they're not so important. But in God's family, we are all one. We are all one in God's family. Again, in Galatians chapter 3, if we would start in verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who have been baptized in the Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. We are all on level ground in the household of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul there is writing about the importance of the body of Christ. And those who are baptized into Christ are members of his body. Jesus is the head of the body and the body is the church. And and Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are a variety of members are needed for the church to function as a body. See, the body would look quite strange if it was only one body part. If If it was just the nose, it would be quite strange. But we need all of those parts. We need the hands and the feet and the mouth all to function as a body. And again, that's the same thing with the church. We need all of those functions. And each member is dependent on the other members. See, the eye 
As Paul says, the eye can't say to the hand that I have no need of you. Each member is necessary. Each member is on level ground. And the body is empathetic towards itself. Watch how your body reacts when you, you know, slam a hammer down on your thumb. It's not just your thumb that's feeling the pain. Your, your, your uh, eyes are going to react. They're going to swell. Your hand's going to react. Your mouth might even react. Right? All parts of the body are needed, are on level ground. In Christ, we are all part of his household, and each one of us is vital. And lastly, I want you to notice that it's never too late. It's never too late to become a member of God's family tree. You know, again, I'm sure we all you know, have that black sheep uh, in our family, in our lineage, and maybe that was us. You know, when we, we slip up sometimes, we'll say something to the effect of, well, that's just how I was raised. I, I, I can't help it. But thankfully, the Bible teaches that it is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to change. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. You remember what that says, that the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. It's that individual. And we know that Jesus was a sinless and perfect man, and he could have had plenty of reason to excuse himself due to his lineage of those individuals that made up his family's tree. But he didn't, and neither should we. We don't have to be Jesus to overcome our family tree. You know, again, if we were to study this in Matthew chapter 1, we would see the names of King Josiah or King Hezekiah, great kings who did great things for the nation. You know, some of us here this morning, we might be the only branch of the family tree of God from our physical families. You know, there's some point in our lives that we have to take ownership of our lives and and be accountable to God. God needs men and women who who are courageous and they stand up and characters who are going to step outside of, of lives of ungodly patterns and set these new patterns for themselves. Look at with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, it is never too late. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, you know, the, the church at Corinth, we often, we often study the church in Corinth as, as, one, as a, a, the, a problem church. There, there's such great problems here. And starting in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. See, there were individuals in Corinth who, who, who Paul lists, they, they were involved in these types of sins. They, they, were, they were fornicators, they were adulterers, they were living lives of homosexuals and effeminate and thieves and covetous. They were drunkards and revilers and swindlers. But then Paul says, such were some of you. They lived that life, but no longer because they were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through, through the waters of baptism, uh, they became a new creature and they began this new life. They repented of those sins. 
And remember, I, I mentioned Manasseh to us earlier, King Manasseh in Jesus' lineages. In 2 Chronicles, if we were to continue on in his account in 2 Chronicles 33, we would notice that the, in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplications and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Did you notice that? Manasseh repented. He had grown up and done such horrible things. He sacrificed his children to the false gods Baal. He, he, he had them killed. But here we see he repented of those things. He changed his life. Friends, it is never too late. It is never too late. See, Matthew, he is the author of this gospel in, uh, in this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And if anyone, if anyone would have understood the grace of our Lord, it was Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was despised by his own countrymen. He was looked at as a traitor. Yet the Lord invited him in. He invited him in into his, his apostles. And Matthew, as he was recording this genealogy, he didn't attempt to cover up the family tree of Jesus. But thanks to Jesus, we have an opportunity to be in God's family. We have an opportunity to be in that place. We, we don't need a DNA test to, to, to know this. We don't have to search extensive red records to find that either. It is said of the Savior's family tree that it had its shares of blight and, and barrenness and bent twigs and broken branches. And I think we saw that as we uh, studied that to here this morning. But if we ever needed proof that God can accomplish his purpose in spite of mankind's weaknesses, it is generously supplied in Matthew's genealogy. Again, friends, it, it is never too late, and God hope, keeps his promises. This morning, as we offer the invitation, we have a great